Welcome to Substances. As Westerners, or individuals from the global north, we were influenced largely by the media, the Bush administration, and stereotypes that we have seen and been told. For years, the Middle East has been painted as the other to us, as a place where women have little to no rights, where only war takes place, and where extreme dictators run the nation, creating even further issues. We have been told that the American government must go help them, to liberate them, to help them create a democratic functioning society. However, using them or any generalizing term has to push people further apart. The stereotypes we have can only truly be broken down by meeting actual people. Today, in order to break down those stereotypes and to gain insight on life in Iraq, we are interviewing Shajwan Imad. She has worked with the UNFPA as a youth fellow, the United Nations Population Fund, and also as an education officer for the International Rescue Committee. She has studied at the American University of Iraq in Suleymaniya in Kurdistan and is currently a graduate student. She is from the Kurdish area of Iraq. This is the area that is fighting ISIS currently. Today she talks to us about what it is like to be an Iraqi, namely a young woman who is Kurdish, and helps give us a better idea of her life. Today is also the start of a mini-series based on breaking down stereotypes, but also to bring attention to how people are just people who have traditions and live happy, full lives. Hopefully you enjoy the show, and we look forward to seeing um, your reactions on our blog, on Facebook, or on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Shajwan, for coming to our podcast this afternoon. Um, can you please uh, give us a little introduction about yourself for our listeners? Well, thank you, Jessica. Thanks, everyone, for having me on your podcast. My name is Shajwan Ahmad. I'm from the Kurdistan region of Iraq, currently studying Master's in International Relations and Cultural Diplomacy. Uh, I have graduated from the American University of Iraq in Sudaymaniya. Uh, studied international studies and minor in economy, um, worked with the UN and the International Rescue Committee, some other really cool places, and I'm really glad to be here with you guys. We're happy to have you. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. Yes, thank yeah. you. So I will continue um, asking about your background. Would you yourself identify yourself as a Kurd or an Iraqi more? Oh, well, thank you for your question. Um, I think for me, uh, and this answer does not represent the majority of the youth like me back home, uh, because I was born and raised in Baghdad, uh, Iraq, um, and then I lived there until I was 15, which was around 2006. That's when the, yeah, the war was really bad in Baghdad, so we had to leave. And that's when I moved back to, we moved back to the Kurdistan region of Iraq, and so I have, you know, in, inside of me, I have childhood memories from Baghdad, but then I, more, I can more identify with my Kurdish roots and my Kurdish culture because I got to experience it more. Um, I got to live it more when I was uh, back home now in the Kurdistan region. So for me, it's a bit of everything I carry with me from both sides, but uh, I identify more as a Kurdish youth, I'll say.
Cool. Um, so what's your life like on a daily basis? And by that, I mean, what's an average day like in the part, the part of Iraq that you live? Okay. Well, again, that does not <laughs> represent every Kurdish youth, <laughs> but because, you know, a lot of Kurdish youth, well, I'll tell you like a list of activities that people do, and then I'll tell you what I do. Um, we have really different kind of things. Um, it's really, um, you know, we have the cinema, we have hiking, we have picnics, we have camping. Uh, have people just going to school and then going back home. Uh, we go to the bazaar, um, shopping, really almost everything, a bit of everything. Um, but for me, you know, um, living there, it was when I was in school, you know, spend the majority of the day uh, studying and then going out with friends and, you know, either to, have, to grab some food or go to the cinema or shop. But then uh, when I graduated and I started working, I got to go home like really tired. So <laughs> most of the week I just spend it at work and then I go back home. But on the weekends, definitely spend it with friends. Um, but uh, right now, the, the culture of, um, of uh, hiking and even skydiving, I think, it's, it's becoming very popular back in my city, Sinemania. So people are, you know, uh, a lot of youth who came back from abroad, from living abroad, uh, are bringing back a lot of activities with them back home. And they're trying to make it, um, you know, to spread across the region, you know, the Kurdistan region, and to a lot of people for them to participate in it. So do you think a lot of people actually come home to Iraq while they were or to Kurdistan when they were living abroad? Yes, well, um, the thing was, you know, during the Saddam regime, a lot of Kurds and even some Arabs had to leave Iraq because, um, you know, his regime was not... Um, very safe. It did not make the country very safe. So a lot of people had to flee the country. And but then when the Kurdistan region, you know, after 2003, we became very secure, very safe, very uh, let's say there was like a very a, a, a big difference in the freedom that we have now than when we had during the Saddam regime. So a lot of Kurds, of course, wanted to come back, you know, to their families, their homes. So a lot of them came back and even the economic uh, prosperity that we got to experience from 2003 up until when the ISIS war started was, you know, for us, it was the, the, our region literally bloomed, and so a lot of people did come back. And even now, with the you know difficult situation like political and economic, people still want to come back because in the end, it's their home and it's their families that they want to go back to. And you know, you guys probably know how homesick I am, <laughs> so it's you always want to go back home. And we have some, you know, I think my generation is a really cool generation because it's they don't just sit around waiting for things to happen to them they make it happen like if they want like for example like a certain activity to be to come to this to, to, to our country they would go abroad by the you know the trademark or something and bring it back home because because they want the rest of the the, the Kurdish youth to experience it and that's part of the, the brotherhood and of the love they have for their country do you think that Kurdistan will separate itself from Iraq? Do you see that being a possibility? Or do you think that they will always be just a region of Iraq? Well, um, as you may know, right now it's, it is semi-autonomous. It's something that um, people in Kurdistan, we all know the limits of uh, our region right now. And we've, we know that for a really long time we have been dependent on the Iraqi country and Iraq. So... 
So we are dependent on them for when it comes to our economy, uh, to a certain limit uh, on their military as well, even though we have our own military, the Peshmerga and our Assage security forces. But uh, if it comes then, and if it happens, then it has to be, um, we have to be efficient and we have to be um, able to support ourselves when it comes to the economy and the military and uh, security and other things but it's definitely something that all Kurds want it's definitely a dream that for all of us to um, be together united under one flag and under one nation which we kind of already do but that um, for it to be officially let's say um, recognized by nations around the world and uh, you know have our own uh, country it's definitely it will happen but it has to be on some really good terms okay okay yeah, thank you um so having grown up during the time the u.s and other forces were entering iraq what was it like living in an area where there was a full-fledged war going on yes yeah, so during that time during 2003 i was we were still in baghdad um, and we had uh, obtained our visas to Lebanon to flee the country because we knew that the American army w was coming, but then they arrived earlier than expected. So all the borders were obviously closed and we were stuck obviously in Iraq and we couldn't even, we didn't even have the, right, the time to, to go back to Kurdistan. But um, it was the neighborhood that we lived in, or my home, where my home was, was pretty safe because the there was the, the Iraqi army wasn't there, so the American army wouldn't come and attack it. But uh, we still uh, got we still experienced some of the fear because we had to flee to a to an outside farm outside of Baghdad, and you know the amount of people that were on the roads and the roads are blocked who were trying to flee. Um, um, I literally remember looking out the window, the car window, and I was like seeing like rockets flying across us, you know, on Baghdad, which was really scary. And we were pretty lucky that nothing hit us. Um, not even not not even our homes were damaged. But when we arrived to the to the farm and we were looking, the farm was pretty on a hill. So when we look across the horizon. Literally, we were seeing like explosions like on the horizon, and that was like Baghdad. That was happened. They were bombarding Baghdad, which was very scary. But for me as a child, it was a great time because I wasn't going to school. <laughs> Schools were closed, so they were like, "Yeah, it's a party." But still, you know, um, it 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 was pretty scary. I remember my mom crying and crying and crying, and my dad, you know, just trying to let her know everything will be fine, but. We were pretty lucky that we came out of it, you know, safe and sound. <laughs> um, how long did you not go to school for because of the war? I think it was uh, it was because the war happened in March, so it was we had a couple of months before summer break, but then like the year after, like the school year after that started in September, and yeah, um, it, it, I think it started right after that. Yeah, so so since we grew up on either side um, during this war. Even though I was little, I still remember the media and just just the general public for the most part uh, with these stereotypes of Iraq and just, and for the most part, the Middle East just being an image of war and explos of explosives and 
uh, statues coming down and weapons of mass destruction. And there wasn't really a full explanation. It was just these images that stuck with me. I was just wondering what your perspective, if you have any, if you have any memories, what it was like to grow up in Iraq while you're being invaded by America. Yes, so uh, I, as we discussed earlier, it's it's um, the memories. Like I do, I do have a lot of memories of a lot of anthems and songs that we were taught in school um, that is basically bashing America and, um, and encouraging us to hate America and not to look at it as a, a country that is friend to Iraq. But on the opposite, it's it's some it's a country that's our enemy and it's our main enemy basically Iraq's main enemy. But we never actually understood there was no education of what was really going on, and it's not something my parents wanted to spend time educating me on, like on politics and things like that. Uh, and I'm glad that they didn't because there, it's obviously a lot of it. Most of it was uh, lies and uh, a lot of wrong information about both countries. But the the the, the in 2003 exactly we I, as a child I didn't know exactly what did Iraq do so wrong that America would come all the way and 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 try to like liberate us from Saddam. So it does not come to me as a clear memory of what was happening, why they came over, but we know, like the children know, that there's a long history of hostility between the two countries. So it kind of sometimes seemed as it's inevitable. So that they come, that's, that, that, yeah, that should happen. A war should happen. Yeah. Yeah. As Jessica was saying, like we were fed these messages through the media. Like we saw it on the news in the morning. Um, I mean, shortly after we went to war with Afghanistan, then we were all of a sudden in war with Iraq, and it kind of seemed like a, a pe- the people were passive with doing it because it wasn't just Afghanistan we were fighting. It was then just the whole Middle East. Was your media also feeding you? Because you said that there's anthems and stuff, but did you also see these images on the media that painted the U.S. with like one certain stereotype? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I I think the it, maybe I don't remember things specifically, but I remember I had these kind of feelings of watching, um, these kind of videos that they used to make. Maybe obviously propaganda videos that uh, look at America, how it kills children, because we had an orphanage back home in Baghdad, and I think during the Kuwait War in '91, one of the American basically what was the room, and one of the American missiles, uh, you know landed on the orphanage and killed a lot of children so there were a lot of propaganda videos made using the orphanage you know on the blood on the walls and on the or uh, in the orphanage as a reminder and to show the, ch- the other children of how brutal and um, evil uh, America was so I do remember these few things but I I remember the overall feeling is that America is your enemy and obviously it's a way of educating their next generations on hate in America so it's telling you know um, feeding the, the children with these kind of feelings in a very young uh, age even though they don't know what's really going on or making them step on certain flags so that they um, or burn them, even though I'm glad that didn't happen in my school, but I used to see it on TV as well. Just so we get a little bit of uh, European insight in this dialogue, what were your guys's Foran and uh, Bianca, what were your guys' views of just the Iraqi war? I mean, you guys were also kids, but what were you told from like a European standpoint? Uh, 
I don't know if it represents everybody in Belgium, but I, I was a kid and I was not really aware what was going on. I just had in mind that it was a conflict zone, that basically all the Middle East was a conflict zone, and I, I had no idea what was truly happening mm -hmm. and who was involved. I just kind of understood there was war there, but as a kid, I didn't yeah. really ask questions about it either. I was just mm -hmm. living my kid life. So you would say that the media, it didn't dominate the media for you, like it did for Shajwan and all, uh, in Iraq and also in the States. Like you didn't see these images. We just had images of war and maybe from an American perspective more than Middle Eastern perspective. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm from Austria and I had quite a similar experience because as Shajwan I was a little child. I did see images, but my parents would not let me see them because they were, I mean, quite brutal, a lot of blood, a lot of bodies and bombs. No, no child should see that, I guess. But also in school, when I was getting older, with 15, 18, they did not talk about it mm -hmm. because it was too recent, they said, which is yeah. a lot of time the case in Austria that recent history also I think in America and everywhere mm -hmm. and recent history is not being taught so um, at university well I'm quite interested in Arabic so I studied that at university we talked about these issues yeah. in a well western perspective but as objective mm -hmm. as possible fast forward <laughs> to today um, we're still you like specifically and like the Western world is fighting ISIS, so to say. Um, do you think just like breaking down stereotypes in general, like being a combat for yourself and being able to show people like what Middle East really represents, do you think that is a way to help combat something that doesn't truly represent the Middle East? I think, yeah, that, that is important um, because a lot of the time, for example, back in America, a lot of the policy making uh, processes, uh, or at least up until very recently, was um, circulating around, for example, the public opinion. So once you get the public opinion going on, and for example, you know, there's there are the people back in all of the Middle East, is they're dangerous, we need to eradicate them, then yeah, I think, uh, I think it's very important to to you know, kill these stereotypes and and say no. Well, it's not all of the Middle East, or it's not even like all of the Middle East. Maybe there are some. These stereotypes are taking advantage of certain countries in the Middle East, um, especially if, for example, if other countries, for example, America or Western countries, would decide to attack or attack or make a certain policy making around their their people's public opinion. So it's it's important to to tell them that no and maybe you should think twice or maybe you should um, really do some research about um, what's really going on in that certain area. Okay and how has it how have the circumstances changed now with the rise of ISIS in your area? Um, like compared to 2003? Yeah I guess. Well the thing is was because in 2003 I was not in the Kurdistan region so I'm not I'm Quite aware of the difference between now and then but I can tell you now that um, we do for example the Kurdistan region of Iraq is pretty safe um, when we're pretty lucky that we have you know our armies surrounding the area and protecting it but it has hit us really hard because first off we have 
uh, a lot of refugees and IDPs who are living in really difficult circumstances because of that. Um, they are, you know, their children are barely going to school, and, and a lot of problems comes with that kind of fleeing. And that, um, you know, because I worked for NGOs, I know exactly what they're going through. Um, so, but then again, the economy is really bad, so it's not even sufficient for the people of the cities themselves. So the the, the refugees and the IDPs they suffer even more. Um, there is a, a kind of tension and there is a kind of um, instability and uncertainty that comes with uh, ISIS being on your borders for a couple of years now because you just keep wondering, well, do I live as normally as I should be living or should I change my lifestyle to, you know, be to be aligned with this existing economic situation or do I flee the country or um, should I sell some things because a lot of people didn't know what to do um, is it going back to normal and you know after a couple of years you wonder is it going back normal and how long would it take for things to be as good as they once were because we experienced the, some really good times of prosperity after 2003 that it's really difficult for net for us now to to look forward and see when is it going back to, to its normality but the thing is the it's actually um, pretty unfortunate that the Kurdish people had to experience you know every couple of years they go through something very difficult so it's kind of um, it, it's kind of something that they're used to they are used to being and living in such a region where things are not for certain and but um, again it, it it makes them you know wonder till when are we just gonna keep living like this? So yeah. What are tactics people use to be stable and to like live a stable life? I think um, what I have experienced and what I've seen like my family does and my you know friends and relatives is that people are now like more careful with the things that um, they spend money on. For example, every year. Um, Kurds used to go on vacations like a couple of times a year, whether it's like neighboring countries or Europe or America. But now, you know, when you even ask like the 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 tourism companies, well, how's it going? They would tell you like people are not traveling, for example, as they used to before, and that would hit their companies as well. And these the people who work in these companies are Kurds in the end, so their salaries are decreasing as well. And at the same time, you know, the, the governmental employees, so people like my mother and my father, they haven't received their full salaries for two years now. And, you know, things are really, they're not even picking up, even with the oil prices going up right now very slowly. It, it's not enough to pay for everyone's salaries. So people have to accommodate, you know, a lot of people started selling their gold or their cars. Um, their their homes or you just cut on your expenditures a lot but then uh, a really good part of it was that for example people like me I would never I never worked for the government I was always working for the private sector which is for example NGOs and companies so you have this part of the population that's trying to compensate for the other part of the population so these people have their salaries table like me but then they would try to compensate for the losses that their families are experiencing in order to balance but at the same time not not live in such a way that you lose every you know um, let's say enjoyment in life so it's a bit of this and a bit of that 
since today is the Kurdish New Year, how would this economic situation that Kurdistan and Iraq is currently going through, how would it affect the celebration? Like, And by that, I mean, is this a time for people to come together and just celebrate and, and really celebrate their identity? Or is it kind of become a little bit more individualistic if you celebrate more with like your close family as opposed to like the community actually something that i'm very proud of is that kurds no matter what they will go out they will celebrate <laughs> i remember last year someone was like trying to count every car that went out when it was the the, the kurdish new year the Nowruz, and he was he was basically trying to count okay this car has like probably like four kilos of meat and that car has like six kilos of meat and so he and then he multiplied it by the numbers of the cars and and so he's like okay well you guys are talking about a really bad economic situation i don't think so where are you getting all this meat from but it's really not about that it's it's really people you know they would actually probably a lot of people would save up just to go out on this very you know happy day and um, these couple of days were were raining back in my city in Suleimania and I was I was seeing some people staying back home but there's other people were out and I showed you a picture of people you know celebrating on the streets so it it does affect them to a certain extent but it's part of this Kurdish identity that you celebrate uh, the Nowruz, the the New Year, and with it come comes with a lot of hope and a lot of posit positivity, and we see our leaders, you know, coming together because it's something that has nothing to do with any specific party or any specific belief. If you're a Kurd, this is your New Year, and this is the beginning of spring, and and you should celebrate it. <laughs> Even you know, before you know, people used to every year make. Um, new Kurdish clothes now maybe they have to like wear the old ones but that's fine as long as you go outside and you celebrate it and you put everything aside because if you know that sometimes this is exactly what they want you know they would want the country or the nation to go through something difficult so that they forget their identity and they, they forget these kind of celebrations that they have but but this is exactly what we need to do we have to stick together and we should not forget that this is our Kurdish New Year and nothing will stop us whether we celebrate it at home or you go out with your friends or family you should still celebrate it so with the Kurdish New Year in mind, do you think this could break down stereotypes about Kurdish people in general if you encounter um, Westerners, for example, who don't know anything about um, Kurdistan? Actually, something very interesting. I was on Snapchat yesterday and they had, <laughs> I have to share this with you, but they had the, um, the, the, the Snapchat story for No Rules. And the, the story was, I was looking at it and I was like, yeah, I'm going to find some Kurds in there because obviously it's not really only or merely a Kurdish celebration. It's for Persians and Azeris and uh, other cultures as well. But there were only Persians on this, the, the Snapchat story. And I was thinking that would actually create another stereotype. A lot of people who would be watching these stories, they wouldn't know that Kurds celebrate it as well. And it's actually a really big deal back home. Nowruz is a big deal. Um, but yes, you know, I, I, unfortunately I wasn't able to, to celebrate it this year and celebrate it with you guys as well, but, uh, I, I really do hope, you know, now that you know, and maybe, you know, when we roll over, you know, the snowball rolls over and you can tell your friends that curse to celebrate it as well. Um, and for them, it's a very important and festive, um, holiday.
Okay, Shajwan, you have, you know, the ear of all of our listeners. Is there anything that you would like to tell us and tell them while you have the microphone? Okay, well, I think um, um, something that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the times, and this is not something that we uh, blame people from the West for. We don't, for example, I, if someone does not know where the Kurdistan region is, I don't necessarily blame them for it, or if they think that I come from Kurdistan or Iraq, then I should be wearing a burqa or whatever, or I should be coming, I, I have like come here on a camel like sometimes i have received these kind of comments but this is not something i blame them for but i think something that's really important um and i would like to share it is that you know iraq or let's say this region always comes across as you know a terrorist country or a terrorist area or um a place where all of the money is coming from there like the oil but you know you have to keep in mind that there is more to that country and that population than the oil and the terrorism that have been um, related to it or you know because Iraq before that was not a terrorist country so you know it's a long story but there is more to it than the, the terrorism and the oil there are people there that, who have like really nice stories and there's a really long culture of um, and a really long civilization um, and history and people who love life and people who are um, really smart. Um, unfortunately, we had a lot of, how do you say, brain drain. So a lot mm -hmm. of people who left the country, um, you know, Iraq was once upon a time center for education and culture and, um, and scientific research. And so there's more to it than whatever the media is, is uh, filming or telling you. There's more to it. We have one more question. Just to follow up with that. Yeah. So how do you use your position in society to break down stereotypes? Can you tell us of a time that you had an encounter where you shaped someone's opinions of your country? Just to go off of what you were talking about, because yeah. I think it's an important follow-up. As an individual, you are able to be a catalyst for your country and yeah, I, th I think when, uh, one of my very first experiences, um, I got to participate in an exchange program to the States back when I was 15 years old, <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> and um, it was very interesting because that was obviously the first time I encountered, um, I'll say, Western counterparts, like teenagers from my age. And um, they thought, oh, well, you guys like come, like you move around the country with camels or you have the burqa on and things like that. And I was like, no, 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 you know, this is not how it is. You know, look at us now. This is exactly how I dress back home. And then, you know, just the other day, fast forward, because I went back in 2008. So now, so, so like fast forward nine years later, the other day I get the same comments. So once I thought I broke some stereotypes, I got the same, you know, after, you know, a couple of years, which, which was a bit surprising to me because I thought, you know, even with people from our age, you know, they would like look up, look things up or look, you know, the country or um, the culture. But then again, I think um, I appreciate the fact that at least they're asking the question or making that comment so that I can you know, maybe correct it for them or tell them no or maybe show them a picture on Google Map or on Google <laughs> or some picture from my camera roll just to show them how things are. And 
you know, for me, it's not really um, like something that I have to do, but it's something that it's 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 part of me being here, and I think it only makes sense that I show our side of the story. If someone is comes forward, like you guys, and asks these kind of questions, or the guy that made that comment, <laughs> um, it's only for me to you know, it's my opportunity to tell them, you know, it's actually pretty cool back home, and you should come and pay us a visit. And so yeah. Thank, Thank you. you for taking Thank you so some much. time to answer all those Thank questions. You. Thank you guys. <laughs>